All right, welcome back, everyone. First of all, before I start this episode, I want to thank everyone who listened to my uh, part one defending abuse video. As of the 7th of February, I have 30 starts and 17 streams. The response so far is a little bit overwhelming. I really wasn't expecting to get this many views so early on, and I just want to know, I want you guys to know that I really appreciate it, and it means a lot to me that this many people so far care about what I have to say. Um, now for episode two, this one is called The Truth About Nosebands. First of all, I want to say that I am not anti-noseband and I am not 100% for noseband, but I will be going over the equine anatomy, the history of nosebands, the type of nosebands, and their effects on said anatomy, issues with nosebands, and in the end, resolutions. And just a quick disclaimer, if you listen to this episode looking for a reason to be offended, you'll find it, and your feelings are your responsibility. We all have an ego, we all have our opinions, but it's important to put it aside for the benefit of these animals that do everything for us and ask us nothing in return. So, to understand what I'm about to say, uh, we need to study the anatomy of the equine skull. A quick Google search will show you that the left and right nasal bones fall right where the nose band is placed, and they create two ridges running down with just a centimeters of soft tissue between them. And why does this matter? Essentially, it's the width and the roundness of these bones that biomechanically make a difference. And although a horse's nose itself is pretty wide, the bony ridges are pretty thin, having a very small radius of the rounded edge that usually ends up taking the brunt of the nosebands pressure. This is, of course, different with certain types of nosebands, which I'll talk about later. So as the radius of curvature of any structure gets smaller, whether it be a shape or a living thing, pressure levels are going to shoot up because they're concentrated on a smaller area, where instead on a larger area and can disperse. Think about a rubber band on a square versus a rectangle. And with some of the pressure that nose bands are putting onto this little area of these nasal bones, they just can't offset the pressure that it's undergoing. It's kind of similar to... If you put a breathe right strip just under your nasal bone, except for the strip kind of wraps around your head and is tied in a knot. But as I'm thinking of this, even that example doesn't really come close to what these horses are being subjected to because unlike the cartilage we have to make up our nose, these are hard bumps that can't squish or flatten or succumb to any pressure. And I actually rode a horse that had a divot where the noseband went because of how tight he was used to having it. That bone literally withered away because it had to succumb to that pressure. It was that tight, which is so, so sad to think about. Um, and now we'll go on to talk about diving a little bit deeper, literally, into the structure of the face. So we're going to be talking about the nerves. So there are 12 pairs of cranial nerves in the equine skull. They're named CN, starting, standing for cranial nerves, CN 1 through 12. So we have olfactory, optic, ocular motor, trochlear, trigeminal, abductions, facial, vestibulocochlear, uh, <laughs> I'm going to try that one again, vestibulocochlear, glossopharyngeal, vagus, accessory, and hypoglossal. Uh, the main ones being affected by these nosebands are going to be CN5, trigeminal, CN7, facial, and CN9, glossopharyngeal. Uh, these nerves have a role in the physiology of our furry friends, all of these nerves. Um, some of those 
roles would be, uh, let's see here, looking at the list, we've got balance, heart rate, hearing, smell, vision, eye movement, neck muscles that move the head, sensation from the face, motor to the muscles for biting and chewing, facial expression, taste from the posterior one-third and anterior two-thirds of the tongue, tearing from the lacrimal gland, salvation from the parotid gland as well as not from the parotid gland, there are different nerves, sensation and some motor to the pharynx, swallowing, vocalization, gastrointestinal peristalsis, and tongue movement. So, as you can see, the craniofacial nerves play a huge role in how horses feel, sense, and interact with their environment. So, a question we have is, how is the equine skull impacted with improperly fitting bridles, particularly nosebands? Um, the information above about CN1 to CN12 was from vetphysiophile.co.uk. I really recommend checking out their Instagram. They have tons of cool infographics and educational posts that I love, and I've learned so much beneficial information from them. So... As we all know, the reasons horses misbehave is out of discomfort or pain. They're not trying to disrespect you. They genuinely are trying to escape a situation that makes them uncomfortable or hurt. Um, and this prompted William Micklem, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about him, it prompted him to create the Micklem Bridle, which was a revolutionary bridle that avoids the major nerves of the equine face, which would go on to inspire many other wonderful ergonomic, that means comfort in the working environment, which is a perfect name for the these bridles. Um, one of my favorite being Milestone Equestrian's Harlow and Milo bridles. Um, check out Shelby Dennis if you haven't already. She's the founder of Milestone Equestrian. She has a podcast on Spotify as well called Making Milestones. Super educational. You can learn about her. You can learn about her horses. Uh, she has a horse named Milo that she rescued at two and now he is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So a very educational person to talk about and listen to. Anyway, um, so in this video that I watched about the five main uh, five main reasons for pain in the equine face, um, he's, or the equine body, he says the main cause of pain and discomfort is in the headwear, so bridles, nosebands, and bits. Um, he then went on to criticize the philosophy that we need horses to submit and instead says we need acceptance from them. Um, I've talked about the issue of submission in my uh, Defending Abuse Part 1 episode. Uh, the video uh, goes on to list the five main causes of facial discomfort. A few of them are the pole, which is on the top of their head behind their ears. It's very close to the brain. It's where the nerves originate. And these nerves innervate all the skin of the horse, especially in the back of the head. And lots of pressure on that area could be a source of pain because you're putting pressure directly onto the bone. Another thing they talked about was the horse's jaws. So their top jaw is actually significantly wider than the bottom if you take them apart and look at them separately, um, which is beneficial because horses chew sideways. They don't choose up like we do. Um, and when you strap a noseband on, specifically very tight, the sensitive tissue is squashed between the noseband and the protruding molar teeth. Um, so those cranked up nosebands that I'll talk about later are extremely uncomfortable to this animal. And there are these two tiny holes in the skull. They are called the they are where the infraorbital nerve comes out, which has very important functions to the face and muscle. And when you put pressure on those nerves with a noseband, over a period of time, you're actually going to be numbing that area of the face because, you know, constant nerve pressure equals numbness. And it actually could be so, like, so far to produce lack of sensation, which is 
really, again, it's really unfortunate. And honestly, to think about people strapping these nose bands on so tight that they produce lack of sensation is just, I honestly can't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Um, so this guy, William Micklem, he's known for his belief that low drop nose bands should be banned, uh, which is a pretty severe idea when you think of it concerning their history, which I'll talk about in a bit, um, and how many people do use them. But he actually has a decent reason for this belief because when he was studying and was on this journey to create this bridle that stayed off of the nerves and the bones of the horse, he found many, many skulls that had stress fractures, stress fractures on the nasal bands, which is just extremely saddening. To put that much pressure that you actually crack the bone is just very, very sad. So all of that was a little bit heavy. Thankfully, we'll take a little bit of a short break from that to get into the history of nose bands. So it's thought that the noseband was invented in halter form to domesticate horses, which was when it was later transferred to the bridle. And according to Eurodressage.com, 19th century German equestrian, I'm going to totally butcher his name, Ernst Friedrich Siedler is credited with inventing the noseband. He trained at the Spanish Riding School in Vienna under Maximilian von Weyruther, who was an esteemed writer at the time. And it's also believed that Siedler invented the drop noseband. Uh, the plain noseband was most common on snaffle bridles and became a traditional part of tack in the Spanish Riding School of Vienna. Um, and I, I kind of, I looked for some information. I couldn't find exactly when, but around the 1960s, the flash noseband became popular in the jumping world due to its credibility previously for keeping the horse's mouth shut. Uh, in the 80s, however, the flash noseband took over the dressage world, where now it is no doubt the most popular version of the noseband seen today. Um, the Grackle, named after Grackle, the horse that won the 1931 British Grand National and the horse first reportedly seeing where the noseband, or also known as the Mexican noseband to the Germans, but more popularly known as the figure eight in America and other countries, this uh, noseband rose to fame after it was seen in the successful Mexican jumping team in the late 40s and is still popular with eventers and jumpers today. So... Why am I talking about the history of nosebands? Well, because it ties into the purpose of nosebands and kind of how that purpose was a little bit lost in translation. So the purpose of nosebands are is kind of it's kind of mysterious today because textbooks kind of fail to go in depth of their function and their fitting. Back then there really were only two nosebands, the plane and the flash, or the plane and the drop. Um and their use was just natural. There wasn't a, uh, do I use one with, do I use without, and which. Like, that wasn't a question like it is today. Uh, in one of Germany's most popular writing manuals, William Musler's R-E-I-T-L-E-H-R-E, -E -E, not going to try and pronounce that. It was first published in the 1930s, and surprisingly, get this, it's still in print. It explains that, quote, Nosebands are there to hold the bit straight and quiet and to prevent that the horse opens its mouth and thereby avoids the impact of the reins, end quote. Musler mentioned the most common nosebands being the uh, cavasson and the drop, but he didn't say anything about how they should be fitted or how different kinds work on a horse. And why? 
Why was this crucial information not given? Who knows if we'd be in the predicament we are today had Musler added just a paragraph about the proper use of the nose band. Um, on the other hand, however, Richard Watyan, who was an accomplished German dressage writer and trainer around the era of World War II, made the function and fitting clear in his manual Das Dressereiten that, quote, the correctly fitted bridle is most important if one wants to advance his horse in dressage, end quote. So in his manual, Watyan recommended to attach a noseband to every bridle, and judging by the description he gave and the time period, he was referring to the dropped noseband. Uh, Watyan's proposal was obviously a little more strict than Musler's, saying that every bridle should have a noseband, um, because... He also said that the aim of a noseband was to make it impossible for the horse to open his mouth. However, he then heroically looked out for the horse's well-being by warning the readers only to tighten the noseband so much that the horse could still chew, which I find slightly ironic. <laughs> um, but thankfully, in 1844, German riding master Louis Seeger, uh, he owned a training stable in East Prussia and Berlin, and also trained in the Spanish riding school with von Weyrother. Um, so Seeger mentioned in his manual, System der Reitkunst, that you should be wary of how you fit the noseband, quote, as the nasal bone is only lightly clothed by skin and can be easily injured, end quote. I wonder how almost a century later this information was lost. It's interesting to think about how we went from uh, this idea of every horse should wear a noseband to people saying you have to be careful how much you tighten it or the horse shouldn't be able to open its mouth, so crank that puppy shut as much as you can. It's really interesting to think about the history of that and the ideology that we have today. Um, so... Now, talking about, in today's society, your choice of nosebands and their purpose. Is it haphazard fashion or is it deliberate? Um, although most of the manuals and some equestrian magazines we see today give kind of general overviews about the purpose of the noseband, it's unfortunately surprising to notice that tons of riders, even top-level ones, don't have a clue why their horse is wearing a noseband, let alone why, which is just, it's kind of baffling to think about. You're trying to work with this thousand-pound animal, and you don't know what kind of equipment you're using, let, like, what, even why you're using it. Um, this kind of haphazard, unconscious, and honestly kind of fashionable use of a noseband, it pushed me to do a small survey in order to get a quick impression of the variety of opinions existing about the usage of nosebands. I'm going to keep these people's um, information private, uh, but basically I just sent out a survey on Instagram and asked a few people. I asked 15 people in my little circle, um, from competition to pleasure writers, why a noseband is there, and that the general opinion among all of them was that the noseband is there to keep the mouth shut. Some said that it makes a horse look better, and one pleasure rider seriously expressed that the noseband is there to prevent the bit falling out of the horse's mouth, and then pointed to the additional strap of her flash. Um, interesting to think about. The opinion is to keep the mouth shut. A few say it, it's because it's aesthetically pleasing. Um, so... 
going off of that, now I will talk about the different kinds of nose bands. Um, I'll go in depth about flash, drop, crank, and figure eight, and briefly talk about kinetor, lever, and rope, just because they're a little less popular. All right. So drop nose bands. Uh, from Wikipedia, the drop nose band, quote, encircles the nose around the chin groove as opposed to just below the cheekbone with the strap on the nasal bone and never below it, end quote. So if you look up just a regular Cavison nose band, a drop nose band is going to be further down on the horse, just on that on that really, really sensitive part of their nasal bones. Um, it says the purpose of the drop nose band is to keep the horse's mouth closed and remind it not to cross its jaw. Um, Wikipedia also goes on to state that the drop nose band shouldn't be paired with a martingale or gallop work as it can restrict the nostrils. Why would you want to put something on your horse that could possibly restrict its breathing and prevent it from showing pain and discomfort like opening its mouth? This is a welfare issue we're seeing here with the drop nose band. And as I stated above, William Micklem discovered many fractured nasal bones due to the use of a drop nose band. I've seen images of horses with severely tight drop nose bands, so tight that the skin around it bulges. Um... So I wanted to know why some of these people would want to use a drop nose band, so I read several forums on different equestrian sites about them. Uh, and the main use that I found is, again, preventing the horse from gaping its mouth and bearing down on the bit. Schoolmaster Janet on forum.chronoofhorse.com states that, quote, A drop nose band is far superior to both a flash and a figure eight because you can set the position and the tightness separately. And for what it's worth, I like to set the drop nose band quite high but still loose, two fingers, end quote. This seems like a humane statement. And for the most part, it is. However, when paired with rain contact, we can almost forget this statement completely. Lots of people say that the drop nose band lets the horse chew better. However, the nose band sits on top of the CN5, or trigeminal nerve, which is not only responsible for the sensation to the head and the face, but motor function of the chewing muscles. And they're saying that drop nose bands help the horse chew better, uh, which is kind of a contradictory statement. So, crank nose bands. They're pretty similar to uh, Cavasson nose bands. They're pretty popular in the dressage world. Um, the way to tell if a nose band is a crank is on the underside of it. Instead of just passing through a buckle, it passes through a buckle and loops around and back, making so that you can crank it tighter than you would a Cavasson nose band. The main reason for the use of a crank is, again, preventing the opening of the mouth, which in dressage can give you a penalty in competition as it displays the harshness of the hands. Um, it also gives the rider greater control due to the severe pressure and in return discomfort, causing the horse to submit to the pressure to make it stop. Um, this is taken from kb.rspca.org.au. Quote, research has indicated that the use of restricted nosebands prevents horses from performing basic behaviors such as yawning, licking, and even swallowing. Uh, the behaviors mentioned above are also stress-relieving behaviors, and I think that's important to note. Um, a recent study has shown that horses exhibiting behaviors that were denied whilst the restrictive noseband was applied, such as yawning and swallowing, at a much higher frequency after the noseband was removed compared to normal baseline levels. In addition, physiological measurements from this study also demonstrated that the restrictive nosebands cause stress, providing further evidence that these nosebands can compromise welfare. You know how when you, or end quote, <laughs> you know how when you yawn, it kind of feels nice, like it, rele it releases kind of these 
because um, anxiety relieving hormones, imagine really, really wanting to yawn, but you can't because your mouth is cranked shut. That's what it's like to have a cranked noseband on, which just seems incredibly uncomfortable. I can't even imagine. Um, in severe cases with the use of this noseband, it can lead to damage to the bony structures and cause significant pain and discomforts. Uh, researchers undertake or research in, undertaken by scientists in Ireland and Australia has shown that the resulting pressure from applying a crank noseband was comparable to the level which had been associated with causing nerve damage and other complications in humans. A recent study was performed with 144 warm blood horses aged from 3 to 18 years being trained for dressage, jo show jumping, and eventing at an equine high performance center. The gear for these horses generally involves a curve bit and a cavasson noseband. The horses had clinical and radiographic examination of their nasal bones and mandibles. The radiographic results found bone thinning at the site of nose, nosebands in the nasal bones, whereas palpable and radiographic bone thinning was more apparent in the mandible. The authors recommend further investigation into the effects of nosebands on bony structures. Crank nosebands put immense amount of pressure on the CN5 and CN7 nerves. Facial nerves provide sensory input for tongue and taste, end quote. Maybe part of the reason why you fixed your horse's desire to put its tongue over the bit, again, a discomfort issue, is because its nerves are so clamped that it can't even feel it. And again, people are like, oh, the horse isn't complaining about it, like it's fine. Horses, how many times do I have to say this? Horses are prey animals. They mask their pain to seem less weak to a predator. Not only this, but horses cannot talk to you. And it's very popular in the equestrian world that a horse displaying its discomfort and pain is seen as naughty or disobedient. We need to stop the stigma about horses displaying their discomfort and them being naughty. This is the complete opposite of the truth. So... Figure 8 nosebands. Uh, the name describes what the noseband essentially looks like. The straps are fastened with a buckle behind the upper jaw and above the cheekbone. They then cross on the nose on a diagonal, usually covered with a fleece or sheepskin, and this then extends down underneath the bit to create a flash. The flash again keeps the horse's, or the figure 8 again keeps the horse's mouth closed and prevents jaw crossing. Um, a positive on the figure 8 um, noseband is its Position is pretty high on the nose, which ensures that the nostrils are open for maximum airtake, which is why you'll see this bridle a lot in show jumping and cross country with disciplines where your horse needs to have maximum oxygen intake. Um, the reason for this is because the placement of the straps doesn't, re doesn't restrict the horse's cheeks. Uh, but because the first buckle lies behind the upper jaw and above the cheekbone, you're going to get a decent amount of pressure in that area where some pretty important nerves lie. Uh, so again, you'll be crossing the CN7 facial, CN5 trigeminal, and possibly the CN9 and CN12, depending on how it's fitted, which is glossopharyngeal and hypoglossal. Uh, the first helps with swallowing and both control the motor movement of the tongue. So, onto the nosebands that are a little less popular, we have the kinidin, uh, which originates in horses, horse racing for animals who are, quote, uncontrollable at high speeds, end quote, that's from Wikipedia. 
This noseband is severe. It directly transfers bit pressure from the rider's hands to the nose. Um, the Kinnaden has metal half rings that pass under the bit and a leather strap that sits below the bit and over the nose, about where a drop noseband would cross. Um, there's no strap to keep the horse's mouth closed, meaning there's no flash. The noseband is only used with a snaffle bit and without a martingale which you can't really enforce that. I mean, people are still going to be able to use that. That's how it's supposed to be used, but also nosebands are supposed to be used, not cranked tightly, but we see where that went. Um, the Kinnaden noseband apparently allows a rider to ride lightly with a mild bit and still strap a strong, stop a strong horse. Um, and if you look up the Kinnaden bridle, you'll also encounter double noseband bridles, which is like a cavison and a drop noseband or flash combined which is another severe but unfortunately popular noseband among the eventing and jumping world because you need to have horses with a lot of energy and a lot of impulsion, and with that comes strong horses who don't stop as quickly. And we run into the same craniofacial issues mentioned with the drop and flash noseband, however, now we have the pressure of bit-to-nose contact, making a pretty severe and concerning noseband. Uh, moving on to the lever slash combination noseband. A lever noseband is similar in design to the figure eight and works similarly, but it's a little more severe. Uh, this is again taken from Wikipedia, quote, the lever noseband has a half moon piece of metal that goes on each side of the horse's face. On the top end of the curve, near the horse's cheekbone, a piece of leather is attached that runs under the jaw and attaches to the other side of the face. At the peak of the curve is a piece of letter that, leather <laughs> that runs over the top of the nose in a position slightly lower from where a regular cavasun would cross. At the bottom of the curve, a third piece of leather goes under the chin groove of the horse." End quote. So, unlike the figure eight, it doesn't stabilize the bit and has tendency to push the cheeks in against the whole horse's molars, which can be pa pretty painful. Um, actually, it, it is pretty painful if you firmly push your thumbs... If you put your thumbs horizontally and firmly push them into your cheeks until you can feel your teeth, that's uncomfortable, right? It doesn't feel good. Now, imagine that feeling for upwards of an hour or two. Not fun. So, just briefly, rope nosebands are exactly what they sound like. Instead of leather, it's a firm, ropey material. These sort of nosebands should only be used by a press by professionals that know what they're doing and have light hands. Um, they're supposed to be fitted loosely due to, their, due to their inability to disperse pressure, but this rarely happens and I'll talk about why. So there is a pretty big noseband tightness issue running around our equestrian world today. There's supposed to be an unwritten two-finger rule when it comes to fitting nosebands, which means that two fingers should be able to fit between the nasal bones and the noseband, which is ideal. Um, so this is, this information below is from the horse.com. So Orlo Doherty, who has a Bachelor of Vet Medicine, Masters of Science, member of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, and has a PhD in the University of Limerick in Ireland. Um, Doherty, whose research is supported by the Royal Dublin Society, presented her study at the 12th Conference of the International Society for Equitation Science, also known as the ISES. This conference was held June 23rd to 26th in Samar, France. So what was this mystery study? Doherty, in collaboration with her colleagues, which included Paul McGreevy, who has a BVSC, PhD, MRCVS, and is a member of the Australian College of Veterinary Scientists, and is also a professor of animal behavior and animal welfare science at the University of Sydney, 
Um, Doherty, McGreevy, and colleagues evaluated 750 competing horses in England, Ireland, and Belgium. They measured the horse's noseband tightness immediately before or after a performance in a national or international competition. So these people are pretty big and most likely have a large following, so keep this in mind. The researchers used the ISCS noseband gauge, which is a pretty cool little tool. Uh, this taper gauge is a tool that can be used to check if minimum noseband spacing is achieved, so one and a half or two fingers. Um, and when the gauge can be inserted without force up to the raised stop mark, a spacing of at least one and a half centimeters is achieved. So get this. Only 7% of the nosebands, let's do a little math here. So that is around, that is about going to be like less than a dozen. That's less than a dozen horses. Only 7% of the nosebands were classified loose enough as two-finger tightness. There were 19% at the one-and-a-half-finger level and 23% at the one-finger level, which leaves the vast majority, or 44%, to be so tight that even the tip of the gauge, which is not that thick, mind you, the tip of the gauge could not fit under the noseband at the frontal nasal plane. What does this say to riders who want to make it to the top? What does this say for what it has for what it takes to make it to these high-level competing competitions? And what discipline do you think had the tightest nosebands? I'll give you a few seconds to think about this. Um, so, if you guessed eventing, you're correct. Although dressage ended up following close second, the one with the least. What do you think the one with the least was? It was hunter classes. So Doherty went on to add in the interview that pressures used in tight nosebands have already been determined by previous studies to be equivalent to those shown to cause tissue damage in other species, such as using a tourniquet, which if you think about how much pressure you have to put with a tourniquet to stop your arteries from squirting blood everywhere, it's kind of sad that we're putting these animals through this. Think about it, 7% of 144 or a hundred of 750 um animals sorry i i said less than a dozen i was thinking of 144 i'm not sure why that number popped up in my head um but seven percent of 750 that's 52 horses 52 out of 750 had two finger spaces. 330 were so tight that they couldn't even get the gauge under the noseband. Oh my gosh. Um, so speaking of tourniquets, um, Researchers aren't really 100% sure how to measure pain caused by tight nosebands. However, scientists have already studied pain levels in relation to tourniquet tightness in humans, which is about the tightness that uh, we're undergoing. And half the volunteers in one study had to withdraw because they found the pain intolerable, even if 
even though it was at pressure levels lower than what scientists have recorded for noseband tightness. Think about that. Think about that. These animals are experiencing learned helplessness. They know that they can't do anything to escape this pressure, so they give up and they succumb to that pain, which is almost, it is torture, actually. It's torture that we're putting these animals through this. And how does that look for people that want to go pro? And why is all of this a problem? So the most common purpose of nosebands today seems to be to shut the mouth, relax the muscles, and spare the mouth, hold the bit straight and quiet, and aesthetic reasons. And too often I see dressage riders using the noseband to crank their horse's mouth shut, which enables them to ride with heaves of force, which apparently they deem necessary to control power created by tension, rather than impulsion created by relaxation. And I find it quite ironic that the crank noseband, with its extreme tightening abilities, became popular around the time that many people left the classical approach to dressage for the modern approach. And classical being the, that impulsion comes from behind, the headset comes from the engagement of the back, etc. I'll talk about classical principles in a later episode, but... Um, the horse crossing its jaws and opening its mouth comes from discomfort, like I said previously, not disobedience, and should be addressed accordingly. Um, as a rule in dressage competitions um, to have a noseband, this should be seen as motivation to find the root of the problem and find the right bit and tighten the noseband correctly, not as a restriction and a panic inducer if your horse opens its mouth, which causes a rider to crank its horse's mouth shut, ensuring the masking of any sort of discomfort because you don't want to lose any points. And when you train your horse, when you train your horse to be able to compete at these high levels, a properly fitted noseband has its purpose. It's a natural reaction for a baby horse to open its mouth and cross the jaw when it feels pressures on the tongue or bars for the first time. You would too. And they'll try to escape it by bracing the chewing musculature. But with the use of a properly fitted noseband, the baby horse will learn to take the bit and chew it. Chewing only being possible, of course, if the noseband is fitted properly. And a correctly fitted noseband also teaches your baby horse the right acceptance of the bit and, in turn, prevents the reactions such as gaping, crossing jaws, or putting the tongue over the bit, which in today's training seems like a, instead of preventing this early on, I'll just deal with the problem later. <laughs> which is, with the unfortunate loss of the classical approach to training, seems to be seen a lot. Uh, along with this, the insane amounts of pressure given by the too popular tightness of today's nosebands, we see the craniofacial nerves are impacted. It's a fact. The nerves that lead to the brain and the results of long-term damage are threat to the horse's well-being forever. But what about no noseband at all? In the FEI, Federal Equestrian International, disciplines, of course, such as reining and endurance, we rarely see a noseband use at all. Of course, these are riding styles that don't need constant bit contact and are ridden with loose reins that don't affect the jaw, which is why we don't see nosebands in the which is why we see nosebands in the dressage world because it's about having a constant but light emphasis on the light, constant but light contact with the horse's mouth. This shouldn't mean choosing between gaping or firmly closed nosebands, and because dressage nosebands dressage competitions require a noseband, it seems to have become commonplace to crank it shut. And I've seemed to have talked about a lot about inside the competition ring, but outside of the competition ring, 
Uh, we see horses ridden up to this high level of dressage without a noseband, like the French Philippe Carl. Um, apparently, he's controversial. I'm not 100% sure why. I haven't really um, dove further into him. Um, but all I know is he created a method that was different than most riding masters at the time, which was École de Légère, um, or School of Lightness in English. And you can actually find a pretty amazing video of him and his horse, High Noon, going from advanced dressage moves, moves to jumping oxers, which was done all without a noseband and all with suppleness. Uh, Corinne Depp, a student of Felipe Carl, says that, quote, I prefer riding without a noseband, especially with horses which are not chewing much. By not having the restraint of a noseband, they begin to play with the bit and feel more comfortable without. The horse mobilizes the lower jaw in a better way, but it is necessary to ride with higher hands than usual in dressage. When the corners of the mouth, also known as the bars, are affected, you put the hands down to give again. When I make an impact on the mouth, I do it upwards and not backwards. The aim is that the horse mobilizes the lower jaw and tastes the bit, and then I will put my hands down again. With advanced horses which are steady in the contact and chew, I almost don't need to raise my hands because the horse is not resisting anymore and there's no pressure on the tongue and bars. A well-trained horse doesn't need a noseband. A well-trained horse doesn't need a noseband. There are horses which open their mouth while chewing, even if the rider has very soft contact. Many riders will put a tight noseband on such a horse to restrict the opening of the mouth and make it look better. But it isn't for the horse. It isn't for the horse. Leave the horse's habits like these. Badly trained horses with tongue problems or which are heavy in the hand improve if I take the noseband off their bridle. Some horses do open their mouths if I remove it, but it stops as soon as they became light on the bit. All this seems hard to achieve if you ride with deep hands because you always affect the tongue and bars, and if you need to give a stronger half halt, it has to be backwards and the horse opens the mouth. It's interesting to note that some good riders seem to have mentioned this and carry their hands higher, end quote. So this um, this was transfer, uh, translated from French, so the, the grammar is a little bit wonky, um, but what she says is clear. She clearly states that well-trained horses don't need a noseband because when you train a horse, you should train it to have lightness and to feel the bit and chew on it, not open the mouth with discomfort. If horse is opening its mouth with the bit, it either hasn't learned proper contact or it's uncomfortable with the amount of pressure you're using. Uh, and further on this subject, renowned class French dressage writer Catherine Henrique, who under the guidance of her husband Mikel, became an Olympic dressage writer who strictly follows the classical principles. She made it! She made it to the highest level following the classical principles. Catherine believes that a horse should still be able to eat a treat when fitted with a bridle and further explains that, quote, For a young horse which feels the bit in its mouth for the first time, it is a natural and immediate reaction to defend itself, for example, by trying to put the tongue over the bit. This can become systematic. In some cases, when horses have very sensitive mouths, the jaws can cross even with when a rider has soft hands. Here, the usage of a noseband helps to prevent a problem before it manifests itself. Adjusted the correct way, a noseband leaves the horse enough room to chew on the bit. It has to be closed in a way that we can still give the horse a treat. Used with consideration and respect, a noseband is nothing else but a simple precaution to limit the gaping. 
We use a dropped or flash noseband in the spirit on our saddle-broken youngsters and think it might be dispensable in eight or ten horses. With our more advanced horses, we use the French noseband, which is a cavasson. However, the best prevention against gaping and crossing jaws is a fine hand. A normal mouth and a fair hand is the better way to a good contact than blocking the jaws by a tight noseband. Horses which haven't shown specific problems in the first 18 months of their training should be able to do without a noseband, end quote. Very interesting to think about. Also, going again, going off of training a young horse to take the contact with the bit and horses that are older and haven't had this problem shouldn't need to be ridden in a noseband at all. It's a very interesting topic to think about. Uh, German Martin Plua, who is an international, was an international venting rider in the 70s, a German national venting coach for many years today and is chief of the German riding and driving school in Münster, also expressed in a seminar some years ago that a highly trained horse should be able to do without any noseband. Former chief rider of the Cadre Noir and FEI judge Colonel Christian Card, like the Henriques, a representative of the French approach, is in unison with Klimke and Pluas and told Eurodressage.com, quote, If a rider has good hands, there will be no gaping of a well-trained horse, so a noseband is dispensable, end quote. So, <laughs> undoubtedly, a noseband is useful and possibly indispensable for young horses learning to take the bit, but appears unnecessary once said horse is well-trained and well-ridden. I say this, I want this to be clear when I'm nearing the end of the podcast. Nosebands are not an instrument to solve training problems. These problems can be avoided through patient, educated, and thoughtful breaking and training of a young horse. Nosebands should not be a shortcut to prevent those training issues from being apparent. Unfortunately, many horses don't receive this essential part of lightness or training. Even some Olympic riders don't have that ideal level of contact or soft hands which are required to get that contact. They either, quote, don't have time or their intentions are shallow enough to not care about the horse's well-being and their future. Who is responsible for this? Is it riders, trainers, or competition rules? What do you think about all this? Should high-level dressage riders be able to compete without a noseband? Why do you think it's so normalized for people to ride with overly tight nosebands? Why isn't this information, this factual information, more widespread? And that ends my second episode, The Truth About Nosebands. I hope you have learned something from this episode, and I sincerely give praise to those who do who did know about any of this before listening, the best thing you can do with this information is spread it. Don't be afraid to speak up. Remember, ignorance comes from being uneducated. If you are someone who rides with a tight or harsh noseband, I used to too. The first English barn I rode at told me to fasten the noseband as tight as it could go. That was their actual words. And I did because I was told to. How was I supposed to know any better? These were experienced trainers that were telling me this. I should be able to trust them. But there are people who ride with dominance and the people who ride with understanding. And I really hope you can learn the difference. I'll see you next week.